helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. We are broadcasting from the Music City, and this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Two feature interviews coming your way. First, Todd Henry, the author of The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. Now, I'll just say this quickly. I'll tell you more about him in a little bit. This is not just for creative people. So if you find yourself saying, ah, I'm not a creative, don't check out of this conversation. Trust me on that. And then Ramsey personality, my dear friend Christy Wright, she's the force behind Business Boutique. We put her to work again. We always love when she stops by the podcast. and She sits down with Allie Worthington who is the author of Breaking Busy, How to Find Peace and Purpose in a World of Crazy. So this is always a relevant conversation, no matter who you are, where you are, or what phase of life you're in. So great stuff coming to you there. And then, of course, we continue to give you free resources to help you grow yourself, your team, and your profits. Our High Performance Achievement MP3. This is Dave Ramsey teaching on high performance achievement. This is typically something that we sell. We're giving it to you this month for free. And then Infusionsoft continues to give away their field guide to CRM, Customer Relationship Management. So that's everything in the episode. So let's get right to it. This is interesting. I get so many different books during a given month. I don't know how many, Eric, you get at your desk. But every time I step by your desk, you've got a pile high. By the way, we should go into the secondhand book business. You know what I mean? After we use them, we take some notes, and then we sell them. You know what I'm saying? Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. But anyway, this book came to us. It was a recommendation from one of our teammates, Ben Westfall. And I will tell you candidly, anytime somebody on our team sends me an email and recommends somebody, I take it very seriously. We have a personal growth junkie type organization. You know, people just want to be better. So anyway, thanks to Ben for this recommendation Read the book. I destroyed it, actually. Really, really fun. And so we get really specific on a lot of content from his book, The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. Let's get right to it. This is my conversation with Todd Henry. Well, Todd, it's a privilege to have you. I love this book, The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. Now, this audience knows I'm highly creative. That's kind of the space I live in all the time. But I'm passionate about people figuring out that we all have to be creative at some point. And just because you may not describe yourself as a creative doesn't mean that you don't have to be or that you can't be. And I think this book covers all that so beautifully. I'm so thrilled about this. Uh, So let's start off with um, what does that really mean, the accidental creative? I spent a lot of my early years in the marketplace working with people who didn't consider themselves to be creatives. Mm-hmm. They uh, you know, were managers, they were entrepreneurs, they were leaders of various sorts, but they were privy to all the same pressures and dynamics that many of the quote-unquote creatives that I worked with were dealing with. You know, The pressure of having to go to work every day, having to figure it out, having to solve problems. And many of the typical creatives that I worked with had some systems and some tools and some methods in their life to deal with some of those pressures. But many of the quote unquote accidental creatives that I encountered did not have those same tools and methods. So I would pretty frequently tell them, well, you're a creative, you're just an accidental creative. You don't realize it, but you are because you have to solve problems every day. And that's essentially what creativity is all about. That's right. And you assert in this book that creativity is everyone's business. That's a strong statement for the cynics out there. Let's dive deeper. You just gave us a great opening salvo here, but let's go a little deeper for the cynics. I don't buy it, Todd. I I get other people to be creative for me. Push back against that. 
Well, you know, every entrepreneur has to deal with finding white space, developing products, forming systems, leading in some capacity, delving into uncertainty on a daily basis. That's what we do. We resolve uncertainty as entrepreneurs. And that is a form of problem solving. It requires the ability to draw from both broad and deep stimulus in your environment, pull those things together and form patterns and create solutions. And at the heart of it, again, that's what creativity is. So a designer might be solving a problem by designing something, you know, a logo or a package or something. And an entrepreneur does the same thing by developing a system or finding white space in the market or making a compelling argument that leads to a sale. Those are all creative acts. They're just different forms of problem solving. All right, Todd. So in this book, you're very specific. You lay out a target of how all of us in the professional world, we're leading, growing, creating, we're just doing anything in this space. This is how we should define success. What, what is that target? All of us should aim for three things. Number one, I think we should be prolific because we have to do a lot of work in order to satisfy our clients, in order to meet the needs of the marketplace. We obviously have to be brilliant because we want our work to be great. We want to satisfy the needs of our clients. But I think there's a third target that we often miss, and it's healthy. I think that we have to be able to produce sustainably. I think we should be prolific, brilliant, and healthy and aim to be all of those at the same time. And many entrepreneurs that I encounter in the marketplace, they're plenty prolific. They're doing a lot of work. They're plenty brilliant as well, but they're missing out on the sustainability piece. And unfortunately, Ken, what happens is if we don't focus on sustainability, the ability to bring the best of who we are to what we do every day, eventually we will miss out on the prolific and the brilliant piece as well, because we're not machines. I'm not a machine. You're not a machine. Nobody listening is a machine. We're not wired to function like machines. And yet so often we treat ourselves that way as entrepreneurs. So let's follow that up. How do we make sure that we are healthy? What do you say we should be doing? What should we be looking at? The key to being prolific, brilliant, and healthy all at the same time and producing high amounts of work over a long period of time is to focus on building infrastructure into your life. It's just like in any business, if you want results, you have to build infrastructure. It's kind of the hidden secret to successful businesses. And in the same way, if you want to be prolific, brilliant, and healthy, if you want to produce great results over the long term, you have to build infrastructure in your life that supports your ability to do that. And there are kind of five key areas as I was researching the accidental creative that seemed to come up over and over and over again in the lives of people who were prolific, brilliant, and healthy. And among teams who were also producing at a high rate consistently for a long period of time and doing it sustainably. And they spelled the word fresh, F-R-E-S-H, that was thoroughly not intentional, I promise you. <laughs> but uh, it makes it easy to remember. And the first area is focus. If we want to be effective on a daily basis, we have to have a clear understanding of the most important problems we're trying to solve. Focus is about how we're allocating our finite attention. But especially as entrepreneurs, it's so easy to become distracted by all of the mosquitoes in our environment. We're swatting mosquitoes. And as David Allen says, mosquitoes can ruin the hunt for big game. Oh, that's good. It's critically important that we figure out how we're going to allocate our finite attention so that we're spending our mental resources on the most important problems. One very simple practice that I've seen implemented to great success is what I call the big three. And that simply means 
winnowing down all of the problems you're trying to solve. I mean, there are probably 50 problems that are weighing on you right now. Winnow those down to the top three problems that are most oppressing you, that are keeping you awake at night. Write them on an index card and keep them in front of you consistently. Keep them on your office wall, put them on a whiteboard, keep them in a notebook, someplace where you're going to see them consistently. That way, as you're going through your day, you're prompting your mind to be looking for potentially useful things in your environment to help you resolve those problems. So often the most important problems, they get lost in the fray because we're so busy and we're so distractible. So that's just a very, very simple, but very effective way to allocate your focus to those very important problems. The second area is relationships. This is the R. And many of us have relationships of obligation and convenience, but we're not seeking out relationships that are stimulating, that fire us up, that fuel our engines, that help us stay inspired and engaged. And especially as entrepreneurs, where most of your relational capital is probably spent building into your team members or developing customer relationships, it's so hard to take that very inefficient but very effective time to sit down with people and simply seek inspiration, to challenge one another, and to try to grow. So I would encourage people to find a group of people, I call this a circle, a group of people to get together with every so often and simply ask three questions. Number one, what are you working on right now? Number two, what can we help you with? And number three, what's inspiring you right now? What's fueling your engines? What's filling your well? And how can we learn from one another what's inspiring each of us and then apply it to the work that we're doing? The third area is E, it's energy. And this is all about managing your ability to bring yourself fully to what you do. Uh, You know, in a vineyard, one of the primary roles of the vine keeper is to regularly prune areas of new growth off the vine. Perfectly good fruit, Ken. Why would you prune perfectly good fruit off of a growing vine? Well, it's because the vine keeper knows if that fruit isn't regularly pruned, it will eventually begin to steal resources from the older, more mature fruit-bearing parts of the vine. And eventually the entire vine will succumb to systemic media mediocrity because it's not wired to bear that much fruit. And in the same way, you know, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, we don't struggle with new fruit on our vine, new ideas, new projects, new initiatives. What we're terrible at is saying no. We're terrible at pruning. So I would encourage everyone listening to this to, on a consistent basis, look at all of the projects in your life, all of the commitments that you've made, and ask, which of these things do I need to say no to so I can create white space for something new to be born? You know, What do I need to say no to today so that something great can develop tomorrow? The fourth area is S. This is stimuli. And these are all of the things that fill our mind, the things that are out there in our environment that inform our creative process. Process and inform our ability to solve problems. There's a reason that we hear stories about people like Warren Buffett reading multiple hours a day. It's not because he wants to dive into the latest Michael Crichton novel. Or so. It's not that. It's because he recognizes that his ability to solve problems, to see patterns, is directly related to the things he puts into his mind. That's right. So as leaders, as entrepreneurs, we need to dedicate time on a consistent basis to as Stephen Sample from USC calls it, communing with great minds, right? Filling our minds with inspiring, challenging stimulus that's going to help us solve problems more effectively. And this doesn't just mean, by the way, going to the echo chamber that will reinforce what we already think. 
What it means is finding perspectives that might push our thinking, might push us to see the world in a different way, but it's going to help us think more systemically as we're approaching problems and perhaps begin to see opportunities where other people don't see them because they're not filling their mind with the same kind of stimuli. Okay, Todd, this is breakthrough stuff. I'm jumping in here because this is from chapter seven, what you're talking about. We're gonna, I want you to keep finishing this. We got, we got one more, which, but I had Great. to break in. Because this jumped out at me, this chapter, chapter seven on stimuli. And there's a great quote that you single out on page 142. It's a quote from John Adams. Now, I'm a history freak. I love history. (laughs) But this really illustrates this point you just laid out, and I don't want people to miss it. And this is about the idea of stimuli and the season that you need it, specific stimuli. John Adams said, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. That is a gigantic statement because it really illustrates what you're saying here. We have to be careful in the seasons of life that we're not putting the wrong stimuli in. We got to get laser focused on this. Isn't that what you're saying for the season that you're in so that you can look forward? Absolutely. And as a leader, as somebody who is accountable for being the visionary of your organization, you have to stay out in front. This isn't just a nice to have. This is a must have for you. You have to be filling your mind with things that other people in your organization don't have the time or the Mm -hmm. bandwidth to deal with so that you can stay out ahead of things, notice patterns and effectively lead the organization where it needs to go. If you want to grow your mind, you have to plant seeds. The seeds of tomorrow's brilliance are planted in the soil of today's activity. Okay, so we whoa, have to plant- whoa, 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 whoa. That is big. I do this all the time, Todd. Our audience is used to me doing this. That's huge. Say that again. You blasted through that. Say that slower so everybody can write that down or tweet that. Give Todd credit. That is big. Say that one more time. The seeds of tomorrow's brilliance are planted in the soil of today's activity. That begins right now. It begins with what you're putting in your mind, how you're cultivating the soil, how you're tending the seedlings. I think so many of us live in perpetual harvest mode. Mm -hmm. We just want to reap a harvest all the time, but we're not willing to stop to plant seeds, to tend the seeds, and to take care of it. Oh my gosh, that's great. Okay, now I interrupted Todd, but I think it was a worthy interruption. But let's recap. He was about ready to finish the acronym FRESH. Now, these are the five big areas that he's been talking about. I'll re-hit them so that we can pick up, all right? First was focus, second relationships, third energy, fourth stimuli that we've been kind of hanging out on, and fifth is hours. Take us there, Todd. So hours is all about how we spend our time, and we know we need to manage our time, but the problem is so many of us manage our time for efficiency and not for effectiveness. And again, this is so true, especially as an entrepreneur, where you recognize the value of your time and you know that where you spend your time is often directly related to the success or failure of your team and your business. But because of that, we can fall into the trap of efficiency at the expense of effectiveness. So what I would encourage people to do is to have a handful of practices in your life that may not reap dividends now, but that are investing in the future of your business and ultimately in the future of your own personal capacity to lead your business. And one of those very simple, inefficient in the moment, but very effective practices is to dedicate what I call idea time, which is essentially taking one of those big three that you've established in in terms of focus, taking one of those big three problems and setting aside time on your calendar to dedicate an hour of focused, uninterrupted thought time about that problem. No email, no phones, not following the the temptation of the ping, but instead 
just sitting there thinking about the problem, surrounding the problem, spending time developing that problem, turning it over in your brain and trying to come up with solutions. So often we expect great ideas that are going to take us to the next place in our business to emerge in the cracks and crevices of our already busy schedule, but it simply doesn't work that way. And so we'd rather do something like answer email or have a meeting or something that's going to give us an immediate sense of productivity. But in the long run, this is an incredibly effective practice because it allows us to dedicate our finite attention and our most valuable non-renewable resource, which is our time, against the most important problems we're trying to solve. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Now, we've given you a great overview already of the book. I mean, this is a must read. We focused on the positive, but I, I want to talk about pitfalls. In fact, uh, you use this word. I think it's a great word. Chapter three of the book is entitled The Side Effects, Dealing with the Assassins of Creativity. Now, there's one that I really want to dive deep on, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I want you to give us a brief overview of the assassins of creativity, what we got to watch out for. Then I want to come back in and dive in on one of them. The assassins are stealthy. They're like ninjas and they sneak into our lives and they sneak into the, the rhythms of our team and the dynamics of our team. And they begin to assassinate our drive, our focus, our passion from the inside out. And we have to be aware of them. If we're aware of them, we can begin to countermand them by building practices. But they're often very stealthy and hard to identify. The first one is what I call dissonance. And dissonance is when there's a gap between what we're doing and why we're doing it. There's a narrative gap in our organization or in our own life. You know, dissonance is used in a lot of different contexts, this word, you know, to describe two things that don't quite go together. So for example, you've got a woman, you know, in a film and she's walking through an apartment and it's a beautiful day and the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, but you just know that something terrible is about to happen to her, right? You just know that in oh, your yeah. gut. Typically that's because there's a dissonant bed of music playing just beneath the surface of the film. And as you're watching it, that dissonant bed of music makes you feel uneasy, like something terrible is about to happen. Well, I would submit to you that many of us have a similar dissonant bed of music playing just beneath the surface of our lives and our organizations. Something is out of whack, something's out of alignment, but we can't quite put our finger on what it is. And when that exists, it robs us of our ability to focus and our ability to lead. And there are a couple of sources of dissonance we have to be aware of. The first one that I would point out is what I call unnecessary complexity. This is when over the course of time, systems and expectations and what we could call hidden or invisible rules begin to develop within the organization to the point that it's really difficult for people to focus on the main purpose of what we're trying to do organizationally because things have become so unnecessarily complex within our organization. And every point of unnecessary complexity introduces an opportunity for dissonance to emerge. So we have to be very careful to make sure that, I mean, what we do is complex. It's inherently complex, right? Trying to run a business we have to be aware of areas of unnecessary complexity. Where are we making things harder than they have to be? So that's just one example of a place we can look for dissonance. The second assassin is fear. And fear is when the perceived consequences of failure outweigh the perceived benefits of success. So we don't act. We don't take little strategic risks to try to create new kinds of value. Instead, we tend to settle around expected value. We tend to huddle close to the middle in the place where we know we're going to get results. And obviously we all know that every organization begins by someone taking new ground, someone taking a risk, trying something different. But at some point, almost every organization begins protecting the ground they've already taken rather than taking new ground. And when this happens, it can paralyze the organization and create a culture of fear. And that ultimately can rob us of our ability to do new things. 
And the third assassin is what I call expectation escalation, which is basically what happens when we continue to raise the bar of expectations for ourselves or for our organization to the point that we squeeze all of the white space out of the organization. Everyone is so obsessed with hitting a number. So for example, somebody hits their number and we say, hey, way to hit your number. That's great. By the way, you did not only 100%, but 125% of your expectations, 125% is your new baseline, right? And then we do that again next quarter and it's 150% is your new baseline. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon we squeeze all of the white space out of the organization. Well, Innovation, creative thought, new ideas, new market creating innovation often happens in the white space. It happens in the gaps between where we're able to think and process and connect dots that we don't connect when we're just running from objective to objective. And so over time, expectation escalation can quickly squeeze all of that white space out of our organization to the point that we're no longer thinking innovatively. We're just trying to get through the day and hit our target. Mm. Okay, so... I want to dive back into the dissonance part, and specifically, and I love this, you teased it beautifully, didn't know where I was going to take you. You actually used complexity, the unnecessary complexity as a great example. And I got to tell you, this is a big pain point for me, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs. I think we see this a lot in government, where Mm. it seems to me that government just makes everything so complex. So that's one context I want to give you. The second context is you admit openly in the book, page 46, hi, my name's Todd. I'm a recovering complexity junkie. So I think like I you're perfect to answer this question. <laughs> uh, so with that being the case, I want to dive into two parts, a two-part question. The first part of the question is, is it emotion that drives us to create complexity where it's not really there? Uh, meaning that uh, in a minute we'll talk about that simplicity is the answer to most complex issues. I believe that to be true. But mm. but first, let's just stay here. It, it seems to me that when government make things so complex, it's because they're trying to please so many different people. And when you're trying to please so many different people, which I think is a function of emotion, that you make it so complex. Or you say, when in the book, you say, that when you're uncomfortable, insecure, you make things complex. So I leave it with you. Is emotion the driver of complexity? And if that's true, doesn't that lead us to a place where we can get a simple perspective? Well, I think appropriately, this is a very complex issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew but, you were going to say that. But, I knew but, that. But, <laughs> uh, but I will say, I think there are two things that contribute to the complexity problem. The, okay. the first one is that people want to prove their value to the organization. And one of the ways people prove value is by doing something that they think other people cannot do or that Mm -hmm. other people will find to be valuable because it seems so difficult to understand. And sometimes we make things difficult to understand purely because we want to show how smart we are Mm -hmm. or how valuable we are to the organization or because we want to show that we're doing something. And so we make something very complex just to show that we're doing something. This is especially true inside of large bureaucratic organizations. Like you say, you know, a governmental organization you know, a big part of that is people want to put their stamp on it and people want to show I'm creating something, I'm doing something of value. But I think there's another side to this and you hit on it briefly a moment ago. And I think that that's you know, the word insecurity. I think sometimes we make things complex because of our own insecurity. I think the greatest danger that you bring to the organization is directly tied to the insecurity you're craving for it to resolve, right? You cannot seek to have 
personal shortcomings met by your organizational accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And I think many people, leaders especially, try to have those insecurities met by something they're making within the organization. They want the organization to resolve their own insecurities. And so they make things really complex because they want to feel needed. And I think that's unfortunate because it does nothing but trickle down to the organization, create a lot of pain and heartache and complexity for people who are simply trying to do great work. So I... so. I think it's emotion. Both of those examples, to me, are emotion-driven. Yes. As opposed to, let's look at the situation, and let's get to the solution, void of emotion. Let's just, everyone, can we agree that this is a solution? You uh, cite a quote by Charles Mingus. Making the simple complicated is commonplace. Making the complicated simple, awesomely simple, that's creativity. Here's what I want to dive into, because I think we're all guilty of this. But again... How do you manage those emotions? How do you manage the complexity? Because I think that's an uncomfortable space for all of us, but I think we need to hang out there for a bit. The simple, yeah. complex problems, most of them, right. have simple solutions. Agree or disagree? Uh, sometimes, but sometimes. it takes a lot of most. So it of takes the time. A, most, yeah, it takes a lot of work to get to that simplicity, and that's work that many people are not willing to do. And I think that one Why? of the Why is that? Um, because we want to move on to the next thing. It takes time. It takes resources. There's not always a guaranteed result at the end of our effort. And I think that that causes people, especially people inside of organizations, it causes a lot of panic and hesitation, a lot of trepidation because people, again, they want to prove their value to the organization. And so they want to get to the quickest answer and move on to the next thing. Um, Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Because I don't want to be glib. I don't. When I suggest that it, that there are simple solutions to complex problems, it doesn't mean simple is easy. Simple right. is rarely easy. That's it's, right. It, do you agree with that? I want to make sure I don't. I don't. I don't want to say that the wrong way. But I think simple. You're, some people think when you hear simple that that means easy. That's that's rarely the case. That's exactly right. And I think our ability to get to that place of simplicity also hinges on the degree of clarity we have about the outcome we're trying to achieve. As a leader, we have to be crystal clear about what we expect, about the outcome that we're shooting for, the target we're trying to accomplish or trying to hit. And everything that we do has to tie back to that target. It has to be very clear what our through line is, what our productive passion is as an organization, the outcome we're committed to. And you know, a lot of times leaders, the insecurity of the leader is what causes that unnecessary complexity because we don't want to be crystal clear because we don't want to be wrong. You know, oh, we would rather there you go. we would yeah, we would rather, you know, be unclear when we're uncertain because we don't want to be the ones that ultimately mislead the organization. So we have to be crystal clear about our objectives and we have to make sure that everything we're doing ties back to that objective, that core why, that core productive passion, the through line for the project. And the more crystal clear we get about the outcome, the easier it will be for other people to create those simple solutions or as simple as possible solutions that meet those objectives. That is really, really good. Uncertainty drives leaders to be unclear, yet we've got to have the courage as leaders to be clear even when we're uncertain because you could still adjust and adapt to that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. Wow. It's hard to do, isn't it? 
it's really hard to do because as a leader, you have to step up and be willing to take the most arrows. You, you have to be the one who's going out front. Um, you know, I always tell people, be a laser, not a lighthouse. When I encourage creative leaders, which means you know, a lighthouse is a defensive tool. Mm-hmm. It says, don't go here, don't go there. Don't go here, don't go there. But that's not helpful to people who are trying to navigate uncertainty. All that tells them is what not to do, not what they should do or where they should look. And so as a leader, we need to be a laser. We need to be focused. We need to be giving people a clarion call. We need to be shining light on the objective in a very focused way and simple way so that that simplicity and that clarity that we offer to them gives them room to play. It gives them a place where they can devote their finite resources, their focus, their assets, their time, and their energy. But when we're uncertain, then people are uncertain, and that spins out into unnecessary complexity for the entire organization. Wow. So good. Dude, you've dropped some real nuggets here. The laser, not a lighthouse <laughs> thing. You could do a whole talk on just that. <laughs> on vision casting, laser, not a lighthouse. Isn't that great? Leaders, I want to make sure you catch that. I think that's big. I mean, you know, a lighthouse, I've never thought about it that way. That a lighthouse is shining light so that ships don't hit the rocks. That's it. It's just a warning mechanism. Very different type of vision casting. Uh, as opposed to the laser. That's really good. Really, really good. The book is entitled The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. He is Todd Henry, been our guest. Todd, I really, really enjoy this uh, book. This is fantastic. I think it's great for everybody. Again, I want to stress this. Whether you think you're creative or not, this book is a must-read. Todd Henry, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ken. Hey, if you want to learn more about what Todd is doing, books he has written, he's written several books, toddhenry.com, toddhenry.com. You can get the book that we just talked about there, The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice at toddhenry.com or wherever books are sold. Well, we've had terrific response to our free MP3 of Dave Ramsey teaching high-performance achievement to our organization. We've told you about this before. We try to bring you many of these moments where Dave, at the end of the business, if you will, of our staff meeting, he will then speak to our team, driving home core values, core messages that we need to be hearing. And so you're going to love this MP3. It's absolutely free. Dave will tell you so much about what he learned running his first marathon, other great lessons from the business, and how it relates to you. So you can get it absolutely free. Just text the word PERFORM. PERFORM. To 33444. Text PERFORM to 33444. Or you can go to entreleadership.com slash podcast. In this episode, you will have a link on that page, episode 143, for you to download the MP3 High Performance Achievement. So go get it. It's absolutely free. Speaking of free stuff, Infusionsoft continues to give away great stuff. They are partners with us. We love them. They help us power this podcast. And they've got a really practical tool that we're giving away this month from them. It is their CRM field guide, CRM, Customer Relationship Management. I don't care who you are, you need this. You may have an archaic system. You may have one of the greatest systems that's ever been invented. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs to be using it. It is your lifeblood. How do you stay in touch, connected with your customers? So they've created a field guide to help you understand how to do this and do it well. So go to infusionsoft.com slash field, infusionsoft.com slash field, or click on the Infusionsoft link in the show notes. Again, episode 143, and you can get that. 
One of Christy Wright's favorite things to talk about is she travels the country with us at our Entree Leadership One Day events. She speaks on life balance, this idea that, you know, it's not always perfectly balanced, but you can still achieve with great efficiency. Allie Worthington, a mutual friend of both Christy and I's, and this is a lady who has done some great things, uh, a woman who was suffering from this idea of living in the tyranny of the urgent. And all of us have felt that way before. So Christy and Allie sat down to discuss this important topic. Here is their conversation. All right, Allie, thank you so much for taking some time with me today. I think this is such an important message um, as you're in the process of releasing your first book titled Breaking Busy, How to Find Peace and Purpose in a World of Crazy. And even the title right there just sounds so exciting to me because I'm like, yes, you get it. You get what's going on with this. So tell me a little bit as we start off the interview and start off this discussion of why this message is important for you. Why was this on your heart to write about this topic? Oh, sure. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, For me, I went through a period where I became burnout. Years ago, my husband and I were both working. I was running my own business, so I worked all the time. Mm -hmm. I was never off. He worked a regular job, so he had, you know, regular human hours, unlike entrepreneurs do. We have five kids. So our five boys at that. (laughs) So they are seven, nine, 11, 14, and 17. Oh, my gosh. And so people ask all the time, what's that like? Well, I like to say we have books and sports equipment and Legos and maybe a little dog hair on every flat surface. Everywhere. It's awful. (laughs) So we're balancing our careers. We're balancing raising our children. We hosted small group in our house. We taught on Sunday mornings. He got looped into coaching peewee football, which he just, it was not the right fit. Mm -hmm. And one day I looked at him and said, this is killing me. Mm -hmm. I'm burnt out. Mm -hmm. Like I can't do it anymore. And lucky for me, he said, you know, I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how we can make some decisions and get off this hamster wheel of busyness. We developed the phrase, um, you have to start breaking busy before the busy breaks you Mm, because the busy really will break you. Yeah, that's a great example. You actually have in the beginning of your book where you say, I'm busier than I've ever been before. And I feel worse about myself than I can remember ever feeling. And I think that just really resonates with me when I'm in those seasons of crazy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I work with as I talk on this topic as well about life balance, where we're, we're rushed and we're running ragged and we're busy and we're burnout and we don't know why. And so getting to the root of that, as you do in this book, I think is such an important topic for us to analyze and look at because it really is small changes and small habits that we can change that will have a huge impact in our life. So for you, you kind of hit that breaking point. So what did you do to start to get out of that, to start to break busy? Well, the most important thing is I, it sounds so simple. It's something we might've heard before, but I started figuring out where I spent my time. Mm -hmm. So I I had a time diary Mm -hmm. and I realized I was living by the tyranny of the urgent, all the little things that I thought were urgent that I could tick off my to-do list. I would feel great getting those done, but the bigger, more important things in my life, I was pushing off to the side you know, relationships with others, relationship with God, um, taking care of myself. Those were all huge things that I wasn't investing in at all. Right. And it's interesting because as I found when I'm talking to people, we don't do it on purpose, Mm -mm. right? Like we don't intentionally get off track from these things that are so important to us, our most important relationships. And we don't intentionally lose track of those things. But a little bit at a time, over time, we find ourselves that we wake up one day and our life doesn't look like what we thought or even what we wanted. And so you talk in this book a little bit about warning signs Mm -hmm. that you may be too busy. So tell us what are some of those warning signs that we can be aware of? Like maybe I'm kind of getting there. Sure, sure. The first one would be emotions. If I find myself too angry with my team, a little fussy with my family, I know that I'm probably overscheduled. I'm demanding too much of myself. I like to say out of control emotions. It's a sign of our out of control expectations that we're putting on ourselves. So emotions is key. Self-care is huge. 
really internalizing the truth that self-care isn't selfish because mm -hmm. you can't lead your team well. You can't lead your company. You can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. And then the third that is really tough for people to hear sometimes is self-medicating in excess. Mm -hmm. So we think of self-medicating with maybe alcohol or food or anything else, but sometimes it is social media. Sometimes it's checking out from the world and scanning Pinterest for three hours. Not that I've ever done that. Right. No, you know. definitely not me either. Um, just don't, <laughs> don't follow me on Pinterest on Saturday night. Um, so it's just checking out from the world and escaping, mm -hmm. you know, when you really need to be engaged in making smart decisions to take care of yourself instead. So for you, what is really the key to identifying your priorities? Because I know in my own life, and I, even with women I coach, there are so many good things we could be doing, right? Like there's endless opportunities, endless, you know, volunteer things and good things and uh, work opportunities and even home and family relationships, social things. How do you figure out what your best things are? Because prioritizing is the key to this. It really is. It's all about decisions, little decisions, big decisions. Um, for big, massive life decisions, I developed a decision-making framework, which oh. sounds really geeky. But no, it's this not. is important. This is good. Um, and there are five Fs. So if it's a big decision we have to make, like taking a job or moving, anything mm -hmm. huge, the first F would be family. If you're married, you, how does the decision affect your spouse? How will this affect your family? Is your spouse in agreement with the decision? The second F is faith. Um, you want to pray. You want to ask God. Um, what you're supposed to do. You want to check scripture, make sure it lines up. The third F is fulfillment. What makes you happy? What is going to fulfill you? I mean, we can say yes to a bunch of different things, but sometimes we know in our gut, uh, I don't actually want to do that. Right. But it's easier to say yes in the moment and then just do it later right. than to have that awkward, no, I don't really, right. I don't think that's Trying to wriggle out of it later. Right. Right. Then the fourth F would be future. So I like to ask myself, what's future Allie going to say? Mm. Whether it's 10 days, 10 weeks, or 10 years, I'm going to look back on this decision and go, I'm really glad I did that. Right. You know, well, is this what Allie in 10 years from now, right. is she going to be happy I did it? Right. And then the final one is friends. So if I'm making a decision, I want to ask the few people that have earned the right to speak into my life what they think about it. You know, I'm not posting on Facebook hey, 500 people, right. what should I do about X, Y, and Z, right. right? You know, it's wise counsel, not Facebook counsel. Right. I love in the book where you say, if we're going to start breaking busy, we have to focus on the relationships that fill our soul, not just the ones that fill our calendar. Oh, that was a moment for me. I was like, yeah, that's convicting to look at because I'm looking at my calendar going, it's all busy. It's all important things, but not necessarily. And you talk about kind of taking that assessment of fulfillment. You talked about that in your decision making. And one of the things that I ask people the way that I say it is, what gives you energy? Yeah. What breathes life into you? Because what I found is when I'm in my sweet spot, like you talk about, when I'm using my strengths and I'm really stepping into what God's called me to do, I can be crazy busy, but I feel that sense of balance because I'm doing the right things. Exactly. And I think a lot of us, it's not that we're doing too many things. It's that we're doing the wrong things. With relationships especially, um, we can spend our time with people who suck our energy dry yes. or we can spend time with people who renew us because they pour into us. It's a quality relationship. That's with business relationships and our friendships. Exactly. And you talk about this idea of capacity as well. And I think that's important because, you know, I think I can do everything, Allie. I think I am Mother Teresa. I am the hero. I am Superwoman. I can just do it all. So what do you mean capacity? Surely there's no real capacity, right? I, I used to think I had unlimited capacity. Sure. Let's put it this way. Sure. Um, once I was on a business trip to San Francisco, 
Uh, for some reason, I had terrible judgment, and I was a little too big for my britches. I made a 6 a.m. flight home. Okay. So got on the shuttle to the airport, fell asleep on the shuttle, because that's what you do at 4 a.m., uh, woke up, stumbled into the airport, looked around. You know, the lights are bright. People are around. I'm reaching for my phone, as we all do, my mm-hmm. precious, wonderful phone. Sure. <laughs> and my phone isn't in my purse. And I realize I've left it on the shuttle because I'm just doing too much. Mm-hmm. And I look at the woman behind me in line and say, I'm so sorry. Can I borrow your phone? I have to call my phone. So she gives me her phone. <laughs> I'm dialing her phone. I'm looking at her like, I got this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, instead of the shuttle driver hearing it ring and answering it, my own bra started ringing. (laughs) I had tucked it in there, trying to catch the shuttle, going to the airport, and in front of everybody in the San Francisco airport, I've called my shirt. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so that was my moment where I realized (laughs) I've hit my capacity level and I'm doing it in a very public way. Yeah. Everyone gets to see you do that. (laughs) Everyone. It was awful. I had to reach in, turn it off, apologize. You know, it it was a high point. And as I'm on the flight home, I'm staring at my beloved trusty phone and thinking about how the phone and I have great boundaries. I don't get mad because the phone's battery can't go on for 10 hours. I know how many apps it can hold. I know if it has 3,000 photos, it's going to get a little clunky, right? But I don't give myself that same amount of grace. Mm -hmm. Like I needed to take a look at that silly example of capacity on my phone and go, I have certain capacity in different seasons. Sure. And I've hit my capacity and I have to start being gracious with myself. So capacity levels, I like to ask women, think about your phone. It goes zero to 100%, your battery. Mm-hmm. What capacity level are you right now? Mm-hmm. You know, Are you at 80% or is something sucking your batteries dry? And if so, give yourself grace in the season. I think that's such a good thing to think about. Um, one of the things I've seen is I think people vastly overestimate their version of busy. And what I mean by that is we think we are very, very busy and we think it's all very important. And you talk about how social media plays into this. Research actually shows that when people estimate the amount of hours that they work, they tend to overestimate the amount of hours they work by 10 to 20 hours. So they say they work, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week when actually they work, you know, 30 Mm -hmm. to 40, 30 to 50. And I think that probably plays into how connected we are. Our emails being at home on our phone, we're always connected, but it's not always necessarily work. So talk about this gray area and even kind of defining busy and how social media can kind of blur that for us because we're not really clear, like what defines our busy and how, how do we sort through that in order to break it? Absolutely. I spent years as an entrepreneur engaged primarily online, social media. So I was always on. So there's Twitter DMs and Facebook messages and, you know, a million different ways that people can find you. And so I had to develop a system where I would tell people, especially if it's business related, coming in on a Facebook message or Twitter DM, this is so great. Can you send it to my email? Mm -hmm. So I'm always redirecting and trying to put boundaries on it Mm -hmm. um, because it's one of those things you give an inch and you take a mile. Right. And, you know, there's people who want to tweet about business and they're going to tweet something at you. I mean, it is crazy. Nonstop. It's nonstop. It is nonstop. And I think as we live in this digital world more, we're going to see more and more research come out that says this is having a huge impact on people's health and their happiness. Absolutely. And you actually talked too about going back to the whole social media idea. You talk about how there's a connection there between us immersing ourselves in social media and our worth. And you actually have mm-hmm. a quote that I love where you said, unless our real relationships at home and with Christ are strong, no number of likes and comments will fill our hearts. So talk to us a little bit about um, this idea of our worth and where it comes in, into play. Absolutely. I actually wanted to start this book with a chapter on worth. And the publisher said, are you, are you crazy? That's a little bit heavy. Yeah. But the thing about busyness um, is it's more than time management. Mm-hmm. 
if it was just time management, we've had a million books on time management and we wouldn't all still be busy. We could fix it, right? Right. But we live in a culture that says you have to be more, you have to do more, you have to achieve more. And when we internalize that message, we're going to always be striving to prove ourselves, always be striving to get great feedback from other people. I mean, it sounds harsh to say it, but it's what we do. True. It's true. Um, so we have to get off of this constant striving, this path, mm-hmm. right? And that comes down to our sense of worth mm-hmm. um, because if we are always trying to prove ourselves to other people, always trying to get great feedback, we can't break busy in our lives. Right, because we're always allowing our identity to be shaped by mm-hmm. how much we produce, how much we achieve, how much we accomplish, how pleased yeah. everyone else exactly. is with us. Um, when identity is attached to productivity, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm, that's a great quote. That's a very good, especially for these entrepreneurs that are so hard driving, mm-hmm. you know, achiever oriented. And I'm one of them, so I get it. It's a it's a daily struggle to reframe that for me and remember I'm enough. Mm-hmm. before I do anything. But I think what you're saying too is really kind of an act of bravery to step out and say, I'm going to be willing to disappoint people. I'm going to be mm-hmm. willing to say no. I'm going to be willing to be still and be quiet. And that takes a brave move in our world of crazy, you know, it, to step it out really and do does. That. And going through that temporary awkwardness and discomfort of telling people no, of not being all things to all people so you can really live the life that you're called to live, it, it does require bravery. And if we do it together, it's so much better. Absolutely. And there's, a, there's for all of us, there's this real piece of accountability. That what I remind people is um, you can't complain about that which you permit. Yeah. And everything that makes up our world of busy is something we said yes to. Mm-hmm. It's something we agreed to and we allowed in our world. And so as we kind of wrap up, I think it's just a good reminder that maybe the problem is, is things we said yes to, but the solution is things we can also say no to and say yes in the right places. So Allie, thank you so much. I just want to wrap up, but if you would just leave us with maybe some words of encouragement for all of our listeners, men and women, as we are trying to kind of forge a path in the world of crazy, everyone knocking our door down with demands. These leaders are in high demand and they've got a lot of requests and a lot of pressure on them. Just leave us with a few words of encouragement as they kind of take this and try to apply it to their lives. Absolutely. I think the most important thing I'd like to leave people with is that even though the modern world tells us we have to live this way, we have to um, we have to make gourmet meals and we have to take vacations in France and we have to run marathons and, you know, you have to knit sweaters for the poor on your weekends. You don't have to live up to those expectations that our culture tells us to. Because if you try to, life is going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. But to walk in the calling that you've been given mm-hmm. with confidence, mm-hmm. um, to always be kind, to be generous, mm-hmm. but to say know with love. That's good. And part of becoming an adult is finding confidence Mm -hmm. in the choices that are right for you. Not for your neighbor, not for your friend, but the choices that are right for you. So that's such a good word as we wrap up. Well, Allie, thank you so much for um, taking some time with us today. And I love that you're in studio, that you're close by so we get to actually hang out in person. That face-to-face connection is so important. So if people want to find out more about Breaking Busy and the other resources that you have, where can they find that? At BreakingBusy.com. You can get the first chapter for free and see the video and find links to purchase your copy. Perfect. And then also don't forget to use the hashtag Breaking Busy on social media and Twitter, and I will be using it as well as I apply some of this to my own life. So thanks so much, Allie. We appreciate having you. Thank you. It was an honor. Thanks to Christy and Allie for that important conversation. Hey, if you want to learn anything more about Business Boutique, and trust me, you do. Gentlemen, if your wife is thinking about starting a business, a nonprofit, wants to do more with what she loves, she's been having that conversation, this is the place to send her or friends, family, whoever. ChristyWright.com is the website, and the links for both events, we've got two Business Boutique events coming up, is what you will see. Phoenix, Arizona, May 13th through 14th. And then 
Fort Worth, Texas on May 20, 21. May 2021. 20, All of the details at ChristyWright.com. I'm looking at the calendar. The second Entree Leadership Summit. Unbelievable that it's actually here. May 22-25 in Dallas, Texas at the Omni Dallas Hotel. Unbelievable lineup. Dave Ramsey invites Seth Godin, Jim Collins, Dr. Henry Cloud, Pat Lencioni, Chris Hogan, Chrissy Wright, and of course with the 43rd President of the United States, George W. Bush will be with us as well. It's going to be a phenomenal week. Anything you need to know about it, go to entreleadership.com slash summit. entreleadership.com slash summit. Well, one more round of thanks to Todd Henry, to Allie Worthington, Christy Wright, and on behalf of Eric, the producer, and our entire Entree Leadership team, we want to thank you, the listener. You are why we do this. So thanks for listening. Hey, would you do us a favor? Go to iTunes, subscribe, and share. That's how we grow. We appreciate it very, very much. And as always, we'll talk with you again very soon.